Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. It was a warm, midsummer day in 17th century Swedish Livonia, just outside the town of Jurgensburg. The night before had started the great celebration of the birth of St. John, with people from across the countryside gathering to dance around a tremendous fire, which would burn all through the night and into the next day. Some, hot from their dancing, had gathered at springs in remembrance of John's baptisms in the secret woodland order that Jesus of Nazareth had famously joined. These festivities had replaced more ancient pagan customs from times long since forgotten, and there were rumors that at least one of these nocturnal gatherings had taken on a less than strictly Christian character among a group of teenagers splashing and wrestling in a spring on the southern edge of the forest. But this was only natural, and there would be more than enough time for penance later, after the midsummer revelry had ended. Besides, who could blame them? with the spirit of indulgence only just hitting its stride as midnight passed and the sun peaked over the horizon, transitioning St. John's Eve into St. John's Day. In the afternoon, the good people of Jurgensburg gathered to pass great baskets of pickled fish, slather fresh potatoes in cream and chives, eat cheese, and get drunk on beer and vodka, a party that would last into the night. While the villagers and farmers heartily enjoyed themselves, the feasting was not without a certain hint of caution, perhaps even reserve. Because the year before, the harvest had been very poor, the fishing sparse, and the winter had been hard. Early signs from both field and sea foretold that their luck had taken a turn for the better, but there was no way as yet for the Livonian revelers to know for sure. There was no way to know for sure, that is, for everyone except Tis of Keltenbrunn. Eighty-year-old Tis was an eccentric character who wandered about Keltenbrunn and its surrounding region in what we call Latvia today, acting as a healer and a charmer. He cured and blessed livestock, stopped bleeding through magical means, and used another spell to ward off wolves. Tis was not a regular attendee at his local Lutheran church, but all the same he considered himself a loyal servant of God. And it was this loyal service that made him so sure of the Livonians' coming harvest. Because, you see, he had, on St. Lucia's night, the previous December, done battle with a band of witches. These servants of the devil had attempted to carry seed grains and fruits and livestock down into hell to curse the good people of Livonia. But this time, Tis and his friends had stopped them, and he'd gotten a broken nose for his trouble, whacked in the face by a witch combatant. Tis was one of an elect band of warriors who protected Livonia, as did similar armies in both Germany and Russia, by transforming into wolves and journeying into hell to take back the seed grains and save the harvest. Tis was, by his own admission, a hound of God, the Livonian werewolf. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I'm here with <laughs> Jacob Wheatley and James Kaplan. Just mouths agape at that opening. Thank you, gentlemen. Hold on, I just need to pick my jaw off the floor <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Got to put that back into place for yep. a second. Oh, man. All right, I'm good now. Are you, are you ready for this guy? Yeah. This is intense. <laughs> I am completely on board with all of it. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, so to remind our listeners, for those of you who care, uh, Jacob is our Knight of the Dangling Serpent. James is our Captain of the Table. Olivia's got today off. Uh, and uh, this here is Occult Confessions. We, the we members, members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. That was a testosterone-filled. Uh, it was. It was very <laughs> base manly, opening. Yeah, yeah. very manly. We we like, usually have at least one of the females with us. This, this may be this our is, first all-male. I think first so. time. At, wow. And 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 we're beginning perhaps the most masculine of topics: magical warfare. And werewolves. <laughs> That's a man I thought you sport. were going to say werewolves. It's a man sport. Yeah, well, yeah. we are going to get to some lady wolves. Oh. But I, I agree. Generally, men are associated with the werewolves. Thank you. Sort of like the male version of the witch in, during the witch crazes. Mm-hmm. The men were accused of being werewolves. So I guess it's appropriate. Thank you. I was once convinced of being a werewolf. I'm convinced you Convinced that you a were a werewolf? Okay. I was not convinced. So I was... Uh. I was <laughs> I was told that I was a little too werewolfy yeah. by a girl who claimed to be a little vampirish, and so we had to part our ways. She broke up with me because she had read the Twilight books, she said, and said that I was together. more of a va- of, of a werewolf and she was more of a vampire, and mm. that we just weren't compatible. Huh. And I smelled bad to her. I think I'm going to go out on a limb. It might have just been the smell that it she might have been the smell, <laughs> partly the hair. She just was trying to be nice. I'm willing to see this as a supernatural uh, star-crossed lover situation. Yeah, well then... The one that got... The vampire that got away. I think you should write the screenplay. (laughs) With with your permission, James. Absolutely. This this is based on your life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's get into this. Uh, We got to do our three plugs before we start talking Livonian Werewolf uh, first. Um, We we, uh, want to mention uh, Patreon. Um, we are going to be posting some bonus material for each of our Magical Warfare episodes, starting with this one. So yes, again, we are beginning our, our sixth series here on Occult Confessions, wow, and it is crazy. about Magical Warfare. I know, we're, we're like episode 35 or 36 or something. We're deep into this now. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, the passage of time. Uh, so back to Patreon. Uh, we're going to have uh, this is something we haven't done, we've ever, haven't ever done before, uh, but I'm going to create a little sort of like a bonus uh, werewolf stuff <laughs> that we're going to discuss after the episode that is only going to be for our patrons. Uh, and while we're on the subject, uh, our friend Rachel over at Life Mancy, Life Mancy Magic, has become a patron. Oh, cool. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so I've been like following her on Instagram. All of her posts, are, they're just very witchy and wholesome. Yeah, she, she's got that vibe, right? She does. Witchy, wholesome vibe. Yeah. And we have the best patrons. I love all of our patrons. Yes, and <laughs> podcast friends. And podcast oh, friends, yeah. Yeah, that too. Hey, Rachel. So, uh, also, we want to plug uh, a, a, one of our episodes from the uh, second series. So what I'm trying to do in the three plugs is also uh, let you know an episode you might listen to that will provide more context for the conversation we're having now. So that is our Women of Wicca episode. I don't have the number offhand, uh, but if you go to our second series, you'll see it's called The Women of Wicca uh, and One Man, because there's one man in that. Anyway, uh so go back, go ahead and take a look at that episode. Finally, last plug, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet for more Magical Warfare and review us if you are enjoying. And we read our reviews at the end of every episode. It's like story time or bedtime. Bedtime, like yes, to put yes. us to, <laughs> to go to sleep on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, bearing with us through those three plugs and on to the Livonian Werewolf. 
On St. Lucia's Day, Tees found himself in heated combat with a certain Skiistan, a peasant of Lemberg. Most of the people of Lemberg would have been surprised to hear about this altercation because Skistan was, at the time, dead. Well, that, uh, that seems impossible to me. And yet, they thought he was dead. In fact, he was a witch. And among the crew carrying the Livonian seed grains down into hell in order to curse their crops and starve their people. Ah, I see. It all makes sense now. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all that explanation satisfies you. Yes, yes. Okay. I should have just waited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a witch. That makes sense. Okay. That night, Tees had stripped naked with his friends in the bushes on the outskirts of Kaltenbrunn and transformed. That just sounds like a typical Friday night to me, but okay. <laughs> the transformed part? Sure. Okay. Different. So, this band of werewolves uh, had marshaled their strength by killing livestock, which they roasted, salted, and ate without bread because they had no means of carrying it. Obviously, if right. they did, they you said they roasted it. They roasted it, so, so they, they didn't eat it raw. They no, were just, okay. they were able to carry salt, it seems, but not bread. They embraced their thumbs <laughs> to use their tools and cook their food. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, so they pursued Skiistan after this lovely uh, dinner, and his fellow witches down into Livonian hell. Now it actually was Livonian hell. It wasn't like our hell. Because, according to Tees, there are different hells depending on the region. The Livonians have their own hell, the Germans have their own hell, the Russians have their own hell, and so on. I picture it like it's a tiny little earth inside of the earth that is still the same. It's just smaller yeah, versions of the countries. Is that kind of, of it? Countries. Do they believe that they can kind of go there through like a like a cavern or yeah we're getting there yeah okay yeah, to get down they, into hell normal folk can transcend and well yeah there. as a werewolf oh i okay. wouldn't go just as you you need that werewolf armor you that where yeah that extra the fur. tough skin yeah mm. so as james is pointing out each of the hells had its own entrance and it also had its own devils like you know you can't find hitler the devil in russia hell um yeah that's where stalin devil lives Right. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and they don't get along. No. So, uh, the year before, uh, the Livonian werewolves had actually failed in their pursuit, arriving too late into Livonian hell and finding the gates of hell locked and impassable. Yeah. Oh, darn. But this year, they had planned properly and moved swiftly, breaking into hell to engage in open combat with the witches. Skiistan, wielding a broom wrapped in a horse's tail, had struck Tees on his nose. He had explained the bit about the broomstick and Skiistan ten years later, at a trial in 1681, but left off the business about traveling to hell as a werewolf. Then, ten years later, he would remind the judges of this injury at a new trial where he was acting as a witness in a church robbery and then go on to confess, for the first and only time in his long life, to being a werewolf. So he's confessing at a trial where he's not even being tried for being a werewolf. There's right. The separate he issue. He just stood up and said, I am a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. And the judge was like, wow, what? We'll get to uh, we that were, later. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to deal with this church thing. So his judges, who were trying a completely different man for a crime totally unrelated to werewolfism, as we're saying, were shocked to hear this confession, of course, from Tees. I think he was like on the witness stand. He was old at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, and they'd called him up because he'd witnessed this church robbery, and then in the middle of talking about this, he's like, also, I'm a werewolf. 
I don't think that bodes well for his testimony. <laughs> I'd imagine at that's at this point in time. Well, if I may ask, what was the what was his point in going into hell? What was he after? To get the grains. To, okay. So if he could retrieve the grains, then he could save the harvest. Okay, I see. I see. Got it. So it was, it was out of good good. Um, He's a hound of God. Rude to just trying to be helpful. Yeah. Start. Slapping witches down there, but well, they're slapping him. Oh, he would well, slap them if he could. Oh, that's right. They He's trying to slap. The they're getting counter slapped. So, uh, it's, we also have to bear in mind that the judges um, don't think this is insane. They think werewolves are real, but they're not talking about werewolves today. And they believe they're servants of the devil. Uh. So this stuff that we're talking about here, where he's a hound of God, is a completely foreign idea to these judges. They're like, mm-hmm. well, no, werewolves are satanic. There are no God werewolves. And Tease is like... But yeah, wait, <laughs> I'm right here. I don't know what you all are talking about. We're not going to give uh, our listeners, uh, y'all, a, fair, a, tran- a faithful translation of the trial text, but we're going to follow the main points of the conversation as it really happened. We're just going to have a bit of fun like we do, uh, but otherwise we're going to follow the main points of the trial. Werewolves cannot abide the devil. No, not to wit. That's why we chase them like dogs and whip them with iron when we catch them. But if werewolves cannot abide the devil, why would they run down into hell where the devil resides? To take back the grains and the cattle and the fruits of the earth his witches stole, so as to save the harvest, your honor. And what becomes of a werewolf at death? There are some traditions, especially in Greece, that hold that the werewolf feeds on blood and becomes a vampire when he dies. Something to tell your former girlfriend, James. Okay. Yeah, actually okay. vampires and werewolves can get along. Uh, <laughs> Others simply identify the werewolf as a servant of the devil, and so when he dies, he goes to hell. Tisa's judges expected to hear something like this, that the werewolf goes to hell, but they didn't. A werewolf is buried like any other person, and his soul goes to God, just as the witch's soul goes to the devil. But how can a werewolf's soul go to God if he serves the devil? Take the wax from your ears, your honor. The werewolf fights the devil. He doesn't serve him. We track him down and scourge him with the whips of iron. The same happens amongst the Germans and the Russians with their own grains and their own hells. Confess, Thies! You are a servant of the devil. You have made a compact with him. I am an enemy of the devil. I've made war with him as a hound of God. You serve the devil! I serve God! You mean the devil! I mean God! The devil! God! Get me a priest! At this point, his judge is called in the local parish priest to try and solicit a confession. Tease, you must confess if you would save your soul. These are only lies you've concocted to cover up your sins. My sins? I'm a better servant to God than your holiness could ever be. Your sermons are fine enough, I'm sure. I wouldn't know in point of fact since I don't go to church, strictly speaking, in a way of walking in on Sunday and listening to whatever happens there. But speaking and preaching are only a battle in the sense of metaphors. I do a man's battle, going hand to hand with the Prince of Darkness. You've spoken your scriptures in the ears of your lambs, sure enough, but you've never boxed with the devil's ears, nor dare I say, have you ever ventured so far as to strike your knee into his netherworldly stones? I wasn't the first to battle the devil, nor will I be the last, and a blessing on every man who takes up the path I've trodden. (sighs) Do you not want to save your soul from eternal damnation? I'm too old to understand such things. Who knows where a soul goes to when a body dies? Tees claimed that he had tried to give up his werewolfing ten years ago, but he couldn't find anyone willing to assume the wolf's mantle in his place. He can't just give it up and not have a replacement. Like Batman. Right, like, does Bat... They're there... Yeah. I don't know anything about it this. Yes, passes oh. the cowl. There's Batman mm-hmm. too? Dick Grayson becomes Batman for a yeah. while. Oh, I had no idea. It's yeah. like a Robin Hood. It's like a... 
in training Batman. Oh, Robin Hood becomes Batman. Yeah, sometimes. Robin Hood. Robin. Ro- Robin, Robin Hood's a different Ro- guy. Yeah. Did I say Robin? I don't you know. Did. Well, I did. Did both of us? Probably. Werewolves. I blame James. Okay. Tease had taken a jug from a man who had spoken a toast to him, not knowing that the man was a werewolf and that by taking and drinking from the werewolf's jug, he was accepting the call to transform himself. Sneaky. Yeah, no bites uh. involved or any of this. You just need to drink from the jug. He could then pass this on by speaking his own toast, saying, You will become like me, and breathing three times into a jug, which he passed to the next werewolf. But Teast was more honest than the rascal who had changed him, and so he'd found no takers. Mm. So he would ask you first. Tell us about these charms you administer to the farmers. What words do you use? Sun and moon, go over the sea. Fetch back the soul that the devil had taken to hell and give the cattle back life and health which was taken from them. Then I bless them with salt and warm beer. There's no mention of God. Not in the formal wording, your honor, no. He's deluded, but but not harmful. Certainly not deserving of, of the stake. Fine! Give him ten lashes for superstitious idolatry. Next case. So he died after ten lashes? Well, it was 80, but I don't think he died. It was like a light punishment. It was a slap on the wrist. <laughs> that seems really brutal. Especially, I don't think people lived to 80 a lot back then either. Yeah, he was a pretty old guy. That's true. <laughs> but it's the equivalent, it's the closest they could get to community service at that period. At that point, they're like, we shouldn't still have to feed you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's whip you around yeah. a little, see what happens. Uh, but no, they did not intend to kill him anyway. And I don't think he died as a result. He died shortly thereafter. I'm sure he was 80 years old. Anyway. And half a wolf. Let's talk about werewolves at war, shall we? Oh, let's. And this, uh, we're, we're changing to the topic of werewolves at war. Because Tees is, in a sense, a werewolf at war, warring with the witches of the devil, but also to try to figure out where Tees' story came from. There's a bunch of questions that come out of this story because it's so bizarre. Was he really a werewolf? Why was his judge so perplexed at the concept of there being a werewolf serving as a hound of God rather than a servant of the devil? Tease is sort of a very unique figure. We don't see in the folklore many examples of good werewolves serving God by traveling into hell to battle devils. We usually see werewolves in other contexts. So to fully understand how bizarre Tease is, we have to go into those other contexts. First, let's say how he's not so strange. He was a werewolf at war, and there was a concept of this already before we even got to him in Livonia in the late Renaissance. So, to begin, the concept of warriors transforming into animals was a common one and widespread. There are traditions of, for example, American Indian warriors, traditional African hunters, Norse and Thracian warriors, all engaging in ritual animal transformations in preparation for battle. So hunters, for example, would act out being lions in Africa. Hmm. Uh, We had the wearing of animal skins among native peoples in, in the Americas, on and on. So that brings us to today's brief history. Now, James, you're going to be handling this for us today, huh? Yeah, I'm doing up double to duty. It. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. This is a brief history of wolf warriors. Fun. Berserkers are probably the most familiar example of the transformed warrior. These Norse fighters may have belonged to a cult that worshipped the bear. Donning bear skins, they would go into a frenzy in battle, howling, foaming at the mouth, and biting their shields. The Ulfhonor, or Germanic wolf warriors, had a similar tradition, except that they wore wolf pelts in place of armor into battle. 
The Berserker Frenzy, which was a valuable battle tool, had a fixed duration after which they would become calm and docile. Archaeologists Carl Anton and Paul Ruck argue that the frenzy was very likely brought on by the ritual ingestion of the red Amanita muscaria mushroom. Yeah, they were high. Yeah, this psychoactive mushroom both brought on an altered state of consciousness and endowed its users with an enhanced physical strength. Like bath salts. It was likely used by Nordic, Thracian, and even Persian warriors. The Persians pounded the plant into mortar and mixed it with the blood of the wolf in a special sacrament. I don't know if that's sanitary. Well, <laughs> if they didn't have the mushroom, they might uh, choose to substitute it with cannabis, which is also psychoactive if taken orally. And for those of you who do not know what cannabis is, it is also known as marijuana. Goosh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they had the marijuana in uh, Europe. Apparently they did. Maybe maybe in India or, or Persia. Maybe they, they got it through trade. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the Europeans themselves farmed it necessarily, but they were all interconnected, so. I got that cashmere kush. I don't have the history of cannabis handy here, so I can only guess. Yeah, I'm also guessing. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's close this one up before yes. we guess more lies. Well, that's a brief history of wolf warriors. Good job. Yay. Nice job. Oh, thank you. Yep. And something to think about the next time anyone tries edibles. Yeah, that um, be careful that you're not uh gonna transform into an, another into a, creature, yeah, so it, uh, and also be careful when biting your shields. Yeah, well, it all sounds very similar to some things I've seen some people doing. Clubs I've been to before. Really, they probably yeah. bite their lips more than their shields. I don't know. Some of them wear like armor. Really? Oh, yeah, like it's leather. Uncomfortable in the club, is it not? Yes. For, for your grinding, for your twerking, <laughs> specifically twerking. Yeah, um, yeah, it gets in the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. bangs around a little. Mm-hmm. And they bite their shields. Well, someone else's, but oh, close enough. I hear you. It seems to me like this was more of a like an intimidation like aspect. Yeah, they were scary. Yeah, like to wear wolf pelts. I mean, I guess you could move quieter and faster. But it doesn't really seem like it protects you too much. It's more of like a, oh, I'm the predator. I'm yeah, a they, hunt type of deal. The mushrooms yeah. and like the cannabis kind of counteracts all of that like aggression, though. Uh, but I guess it's different for. Well, you're taking one or the other, and mm-hmm. you're having a, a head trip either way. Mm-hmm. So you're in some sort of hallucinatory experience, and I think you can sort of prime your mind up, right, yeah. to go to like to think that's what that's I'm true. going to do. Like these people were trained hunters and, and warriors anyway. That's how they were rigged. They were mm-hmm. trackers. They were yeah. you know, probably. And I think, James, the fact that they only wore wolf pelts made them all the more frightening. Yeah. That they really didn't care about protecting themselves because they weren't going to feel it anyway. That is scary. Yeah. If you're, really yeah, scary, if you're training, if, you, if you've got that in mind that you're not going to have armor, I mean, you're training to end the fight quickly, I guess. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do we have any records of like how successful these these things were? Are there any? I mean, relatively, yeah. the I mean, Vikings were very successful conquerors. The berserkers were yeah. very successful. Yeah, they were scary. The records of them say we were scared when we saw these guys. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's like if you're in the middle of a battle and this naked guy just runs out right in the middle of the field just screaming. Yeah. That's scary. I want to test that out one day. <laughs> I'm going to go into the field around here and just come out screaming. <laughs> 
as the drones descend. Yes. Uh, so, there's a tradition of warriors transforming into wolves in order to do battle uh, with their enemies. But these warriors are fighting strictly terrestrial battles in the natural world. All these warriors that James is talking about. We're missing an essential component of Tisa's experience, and that's the journey into hell. To find examples of supernatural warfare like this, we've got to check in with Europe's shamans. Baltic shamanism probably arrived by way of Siberia. That big icy patch above Russia that also is Russia. Yeah, most of Russia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, flourishing, it flourished in Hungary, where the shaman was called a Taltos. The Taltos is distinguished by a sign at birth and has initiatory visions at adolescence. So you'll have a birthmark, and then when you turn, like, 13, suddenly you'll start to see stuff. One, well, you'll see one important stuff, a vision. Oh, yeah. That's a lot to put on a child. Yeah, yeah he's only 13. The Teltos is born with an extra finger or extra teeth, so you're already having a hard time, uh, and is brought away for three days to God. The Teltos returns with the ability to heal. While on this spirit journey, the Teltos' body is carved up to confirm the existence of an extra bone. So they have extra teeth, extra fingers, extra bone. But you got to carve in to look at the extra bone. Would they survive this carving? Yep, they come on back, because God mm, and wow. healing. The Teltos must climb a tree to the sky and comes back down, completing his trials. So the, the tree climbing's how you get to God. It's like the, the final th test. Yeah, it's your, your Jack and the Beanstalk situation. So this 13-year-old's got to climb a tree for three days? I don't know if he's still 13, but, you know, he's been through a lot, I agree. But yeah, eventually you got to do that. I wonder how many like people they go through that they think are, is the Teltos, and then you know <laughs> you tell them to climb a tree, and you're just like, oh, well, I guess he wasn't the Teltos. He dons a headdress, a feather duster, and horns, and carries a drum and a sieve. In an ecstatic state, the Taltos communes with supernatural beings and the spirits of the ancestors. The Taltos then goes on, much like Tees and his werewolves, to fight the enemies of the community on soul journeys. Sort of like, you know, Tease had to go down into hell. The Taltos is now going to go fight supernatural enemies who might hurt the harvest or whatever. For these journeys, the soul takes on the form of an animal, while the human shaman's body rests in trance. Again, very similar stuff. So your shaman could, like, be a wolf, just right. like Tease, or, like, other things. Like a hawk. Like a hawk, or, uh... Other Siberian head. creatures. <laughs> <laughs> just all of They have hedgehogs. I, I don't. I, I do not know. <laughs> I'd like to see a shaman with like a spirit of a hedgehog going to fight battles in hell. Hedgehog is yeah. I mean, it's a it's a dangerous creature. I don't think so. I mean, it's <laughs> dangerous if you throw it at someone. I don't know. They, or sit on it. Scary. Or sit on it. I mean, it's not really like a porcupine. Oh, that's true. Carlo Ginsberg connects these shamanic battles with Tisa's battle and the Benendati. Italian spirit warriors who projected their souls to do battle with witches in the night. This we talked about on our Wicca episode. So it's basically like other religions, or I guess not religions, nationalities. They kind of, it's the same thing, just in a different place. Yeah, they have their own version. Yeah, yep. just, well, just like other How religions. How curious and bizarre it is. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> what uh, a coincidence. Uh, so much so that witchcraft scholar uh, Klanitze, uh, what's, what's the guy's name here? Let me get it, see if I can get his full name up here. Well, Klanitze. He, uh... <laughs> that is his full <laughs> name. He's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll, I'll post it up on our resources page. Uh, points out that the Benendati and other European sorcerers go on their soul journeys in secret. 
And this is actually in contrast to the shaman who does it publicly. Uh, so the shaman does it on behalf of the community, tells the community, guys, I know we're having a bad harvest or all our cows are, you know, giving curdled milk or something. All our daughters are coming out with the... They're just coming out. Just coming out. They're just all, it's all daughters all the time. We have all women. we got to yeah. do something. We need some, some boys here. Uh, so I'm going to go do battle with the supernatural forces to try to straighten out this uh, daughter problem or what have you. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, Mr. Shaman. Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> uh, but the Ben and Dottie don't tell anybody about what they're doing. They just do it in secret. They're like, uh, hey, Ben and Dottie, what are you doing? Shh. Nothing. <laughs> okay. Shh. Shh. We don't talk you see about nothing. It. Got my eye behind, on you. behind a bush. I don't see a Ben and Dottie. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so, so it's, it's, we sort of can't exactly put them in the same bucket. Um, also, Tease and his werewolf brethren are not going on soul journeys. His soul does not become the wolf. He becomes the wolf by physically transforming into the animal. So when we put all these together, there's like always something that doesn't quite match up. The Ben and Dottie are doing it in secret. Tease is doing it in secret. So they're like each other. But both the Ben and Dottie and the uh, Taltos are doing this. Um, for the community? Well, Taltos is doing it for the community. The ben, uh, Tease and Ben and Dottie are doing it for the community just secretly. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're not like the Taltos. The Taltos is telling everybody, right. I'm going. But... The Benandati are not like Tis because they're only going on a soul journey, like the Taltos. Oh, they're not physically going into their personal hell. Tis is is actually transforming in his physical body and making the journey. And you said he was in, what, modern-day Latvia? Not modern-day. Well, like, <laughs> no, no, but, but where Latvia Oh, yeah, where Latvia is It wasn't now. called yeah, yeah. Latvia. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, did you think this happened last week? Uh, so <laughs> they, they lashed him. Modern-day Latvia, they still They're have still lashing that, as a yeah. <laughs> punishment for werewolves. Uh, so overlooking that James does not think that. It was just clarifying. Yeah, guys, thanks a lot. Overlooking this significant feature of the tale, the fact that he transforms in his physical body misses the conflict. Both Tees and his inquisitors understood his werewolfism as a literal rather than a metaphorical or a psychological or a spiritual transformation. That was the source of the conflict. They believed he was inhabited by the devil because he could physically transform into a wolf. So, if we're really going to make sense of Tisa's account, we've got to get closer to actual European werewolf beliefs, which requires us to take a step away from the Berserkers, Taltost, and Benandati. That's fine. Let's get let's get down to the werewolves. Fun. Yeah, where where were these werewolves? Where did they Were-wolves. come from? Werewolves. Do we have a, like a first uh, encounter? In, 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 in I don't the, know. In, in the, the scripts, the earliest. I yes. mean, there were, I think, Roman werewolves. We can go back. We can wow. go pretty far back. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, the reason I like the Berserkers and the Taltos and the Benandati is because none of them are cursed. None of them are servants of the devil. All of them are supposed to be serving their community in a benevolent way. They're doing it on their like own free will, right. basically. And they're either defending the community as, as the berserker or they're going off on these soul journeys. All of it's good, and they're honored for their contribution to some extent. However, in European werewolf tradition, it is not viewed that way. The werewolf is cursed and is satanic in some way. Traditionally and popularly, the werewolf is understood to be either the victim of a curse or an intentionally evil person acting out of malice and greed. And so we have to wonder if Tees of Kaltenbrunn, despite what he told his judges and the priest, 
is a werewolf at all, because he's not intentionally acting out of greed. He's trying to help. The folklore around werewolves in Europe stems from a few regions. In England, the wolf was driven out by the Anglo-Saxon kings, and so werewolf lore is relatively rare. English witches, according to early modern superstitions, tend to transform into rabbits, cats, or black dogs. No werewolves. France, on the other hand, has a much richer tradition. The werewolf bounds out of the window on a full moon night, jumps into a spring or well, and emerges a beast. As the werewolves run through the countryside, the devil runs with them and whips them at the foot of every cross they pass. The French werewolf can be cured by stabbing him or her three times in the head and drawing Jeez. three drops of blood with a needle. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> that is a lot of work. <laughs> and you wonder if they're still there, right, when you're right? done stabbing them in the head three times. They're just kind of like twitching a little bit. I mean, I feel like, like that's just yet. a cure for anything, I get because you used to be dead. It would be <laughs> Or severely brain damaged, so you've forgotten all of the things that you right. thought you were before. The other hot spot for werewolf lore is along the Baltic Sea, stretching from Germany through Poland and up through Latvia. This is the home of the Livonian Tees. It also includes some of Russia. There are a couple of legends that we can trace back specifically to Tees' home in Livonia. The first legend was collected by the Swedish chronicler Olaus Magnus. In Prussia, Lithuania, and Livonia, there is a large crew of men who transform into wolves on Christmas night and try to beat down people's doors to devour them as well as their livestock. They also break into beer cellars and drink down whatever they can find. By this drinking, you can differentiate them from true wolves. Another legend recorded by the German scholar Kaspar Pusser touches on the iron whip mentioned by Thies and referenced in the French lore. At Christmas, a boy with one lame leg goes around the country summoning the devil's followers, and they gather for a conclave where they transform into wolves. The leader carries an iron whip, and the wolves wander about the countryside, killing and devouring cattle and sheep. But fear not! for they cannot kill humans. To cross water, as they must often do in their rovings, the leader strikes the water with his whip, and it divides. These frightful revels last 12 days after which the werewolves return to their human forms. <laughs> it's just the Moses of werewolves. <laughs> Werewolf Moses. Yeah. Yeah. If that's, I don't know, is that, is that okay? I don't, I don't think so. It doesn't feel kosher. It doesn't, because he's no. like some, the devil's followers or something. Well, a lot of the witch lore is like an inversion of the Christian stuff. Yeah. The black mass and stuff. Yeah. So this, yeah, this would be Werewolf Moses. <laughs> that's just how I have to connect things. There you go. Jesus. Yes, we got to relate it all back. Yep. In this case, to Moses. Yep. But we should also look outside Livonia proper, because the area served as a kind of melting pot for several cultures in the late 17th century. Nearby in Poland, legend tells of how the werewolves rage twice a year at Christmas and Midsummer. They say that on the day of a wedding, if a witch wishes to curse the bridal party, she can lay a girdle of human skin across the threshold of the house. Sorry? A girdle <laughs> of human skin. How does no one, like, see this, though? <laughs> they don't notice it. Is that a human skin on the threshold of my house? She's like, and she's just like, shh, don't worry about a it. Girdle, <laughs> a girdle. A girdle of human skin. So just, like, the 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 skin around the thigh? I, oh, I guess it could I, be, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't... Like, which part would you take it from? I yeah. guess you could piece it together. Okay. Were you thinking of, like, the garter that she wears? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm garter. Thinking, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm That's sorry. Different. All right. Girdle I thought you is, meant you could take oh, what's the a thigh. The girdle and... is a piece of clothing that they wear to kind of just suck everything in in your 
around your mid yeah. okay so if you got a nice piece from your thigh you could use that as a girdle i thought about i thought that's what it. james was yeah. saying yeah i also like your image jacob of the witch just peering around the corner of the house as people <laughs> walk over the threshold yeah and whenever they stop she's like you know, no, no, no! Don't look. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't look at it. Don't it's look no at big it. deal. Yeah, she's like, that's nothing. It's a little present. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's how she curses the wedding party. Let's hear from the witch. Arr! I have been mildly annoyed by the fulsome and pretty bride who was wed this day in this house. She kicked mud as she passed my doorstep, and it got on my garden gnome. It might have been an accident, but I can't be sure. So I better curse her, but just a little. Do not want to kill her or poison her womb. Rather, I would see her and her friends lose their pretty human shapes and become wolves. Wolves, I say! Ha! But not forever. Just for, like, three years. Luckily, I just so happened to have made my girdle out of some human skin I had laying around the house. She shall never suspect it. But it's still pretty bad. <laughs> see, I'm, gonna, see, I'm just gonna curse her a little. I'll, just, I'll turn her into a creature that can't speak or like use their hands and also but not for long just, just for a little three bit. years it's <laughs> a long time that's like <laughs> but it could be forever it's yeah. like a like a, like an eighth of your life uh, <laughs> oh, well i guess at the time period yeah well you're already of marriageable age so you're you're on the home stretch there oh man if the bride bridegroom or any of their bridesmaids or groomsmen step over the girdle they will be transformed into wolves as we say, for three years. At that point, the witch will cover them with magical skins with hair facing outward that will change them back. So the witch actually does, has, she has to finish this by coming back three years later. Oh, she's like, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, my bad. Like, she cools off. Yeah. She was upset. She's like, I cleaned the gnome, it's fine. I had three years to think about it. And now you can be people again. That's a weird thing, I, I think. I find in uh, a lot of old stories, a lot of old folk tales, is like the, the bad guy is also like not so bad, you know? Like, <laughs> kind of, it's like, oh yeah, well, it's like, oh, I'm gonna find that that witch or wizard, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him to turn me back, and it's like he's willing to do it, like maybe in exchange for something. But like, <laughs> yeah, there's always a deal to be made. I'm like, well, here you just need if you've given your three years, if you put your time in, the witch is like, all right, I I guess I overreacted. <laughs> Given the proximity to Sweden, Tisa's conception of the werewolf may have also been influenced by Nordic ideas. The Swedes believe that Russians can turn them into wolves. Norwegians believe that trolls can transform people into wolves or bears, or that trolls themselves can become wolves or bears. The, they tell a story of a man transformed into a wolf by a witch for failing to cross himself before felling a tree. You gotta cross yourself before you fell a tree, lumberjacks. Cross yourself. Like, uh, to the sign of the cross? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Years after her husband's disappearance, a mysterious beggar came by with strange news. Thou dost live alone, dost thou not? I do. Thou dost fear thine husband has perished in yonder forest, but take heart, thine husband is not dead. He isn't? Nine. Then what is he? He has been transformed into a wolf. <gasps> Put out a bit of meat and you shall see. The woman put out a bit of meat on her doorstep, and sure enough, when next she looked, a wolf had arrived and was partaking of her gift. Oh, wolf, are you my husband? Having been recognized, the man resumed his human form in the same clothes he had worn when he first transformed. It is I, wife, fully clothed. How discreet. In Denmark, there was a folk belief that if a woman passed naked through a sack, in which a foal was born, stretched between four twigs. She would give birth without pain, 
but all of her sons would be werewolves, and all of her daughters were mares. Well, there's the trade-off. <laughs> She's like, ah, do I want this to hurt or like <laughs> have werewolf kids? I guess they probably wouldn't want werewolf kids because, I mean, unless but she was. There's this whole procedure that you could go through. So I guess some people would have like, oh, taken the I'll deal, right? <laughs> right. Or maybe that was just to like. Uh, they had a procedure, but they didn't want people doing it for some reason. They're just like, oh, well, if you do it, your kids are going to be werewolves. He's like, oh, really? I'm going to write that down. So this was like a perfect miracle cure. But, uh, they, they didn't want to give up all their full sacks. So they made up this, my, this story. My dad once told me that if I ate styrofoam, that I would turn into a bird. That was to deter me from eating styrofoam, Apparently you wanted which to do didn't that. work. <laughs> I really wanted to fly, Rob. I bet you're still passing some of that styrofoam. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know how long it stays in your system. Uh, so uh, a mare is not a female horse in this context, by the way. The daughter's turning into mares. They are mythological creatures who ride on people's chests in the night to give them nightmares. Nightmare. Oh. From mare. Yeah. The werewolf could only be cured once identified as a werewolf and told out loud that he was a werewolf. You would think the mother would just do that. But probably she couldn't. Acceptance is the first step. Yeah, then you're good. That's the only step. This is all, yeah, the only say. step. Yeah. You're a werewolf. Oh, man, you got me. He's not a werewolf anymore. Swiper no swiping. <laughs> oh, man. Some themes resonate from these legends into Tisa's tale. The Iron Whip, number one. Right? We heard that for the Moses werewolf. Transformations at Christmas and Midsummer. And the devouring of livestock. Because you got to devour something. But other themes are a direct contrast, partnering with the devil and the idea of the werewolf being cursed by a witch or by a mother who doesn't want to experience the pain of childbirth. Imagine being on the same level as, like, a witch, and you're just a mom who just didn't want it to hurt when giving birth. It seems mean. We're probably the wrong people to comment on this. Probably. Yeah. We need a lady to... But none of, none of the women have given birth, I think, of the occult confessors, right? Uh, you guys have got a Not that I crew. know of. Yeah. I've watched it happen. It seems yeah. it seems rough. It does seem very painful. Yeah. I maybe the full deal is not so bad. Hmm. <laughs> Willem de Blakehor in his article on the Livonian werewolf in the journal because you can cure it. Uh sorry, I got to go back to this because you can just cure it, right? <laughs> yeah. By looking at like if your kid if you oops like you didn't want to go oh, through the yeah, pain yeah. of childbirth <laughs> and you birth the kid and the kid is now a werewolf. You just have to wait a little bit until the kid transforms and then afterwards just be like you're, you're a werewolf. And, and then, then it's, it's undone. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. Undone. Yeah. I mean, like, even if you, like, maybe you can't be a yeah. direct family member, there is other roles. You just, like, find a friend. Yeah. To bring over. Yeah. And say, yeah. hey, you're a werewolf. And then you're done. You're cured. No harm, no foul. No. Everybody came out okay. Anyhow. Willem de Blakecourt, in his article on the Lafonian werewolf, <laughs> in the journal Magic Ritual and Witchcraft, which is a cool journal, tied pieces... If you like journals, I gotta say. Let me just... <laughs> As if far you as like journals academic go. journals, it is a cool one. Uh, so he, Can you get that name again? Willem de Blakehor. I mean the name of the journal? Magic, Ritual, and Witchcraft. Magic, Ritual, and Witchcraft. I'll remember that. He connected Tisa's account back to the lore of the particular region. Baltic legend holds that sharing a cup of beer with a werewolf will result in your being transformed into the beast. 
and that you will be driven by the devil once you've transformed wielding an iron whip, which sounds like kind of familiar themes in Tisa's thing, except for all that devil stuff. A potentially imported Russian custom has revelers dressing as wolves at Christmas time and punishing anyone unlucky to be captured by them as they wander the streets of the village. Kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. You're just like going home and werewolf people attack you, but they're just people in wolf costumes and they beat the crap out of you. It's a bunch of jackasses, really. Really. Christmas Damn teenagers. Very different back then. Kids. They're probably in their, their mid-30s. So. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> Latvian custom closer to home involve revelers roaming in disguise as bears, cranes, horses, and wolves, demanding meat, and performing body mock weddings to drive away evil spirits and promote fer- fertility. So that's sounding more Tesian because the devil's not involved. They're dressing as an animal to drive away evil forces. A mock wedding sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Folklore is a tricky creature that thrives because of its dynamism. To get on my scholarly horse for a bit. My scholarly mare, if you will. That is to say, folklore is defined by the fact that it is changed and adapted with every telling. As a legend passes from person to person, they change or transform it according to their own beliefs, customs, and those of their audience. So, Tees of Kaltenbrunn became a kind of werewolf that sat between a range of traditions. He's adapting all of these, right, into himself. There's cursed sorcerers driven by the devil's iron whip at Christmas. There's warriors transformed in in order to perform a frenzy in the heat of battle. There's shamans transformed in spirit in order to do battle in the non-material world, and masqueraders transformed in order to drive away evil. Somewhere between all these, we see Tease, who is none of them, and all of them, all at once. Tease and his band of werewolves are well-remembered by scholars of folklore and witchcraft for the boundary-crossing they achieved as they join these various traditions together, becoming a unique sort of beast, rarely heard from before or since. A hound of God. Hmm. That was nice. Thanks. Save me a sound effect later. (laughs) All right, that's it for our Livonian werewolves. Let's get on to our order of confessors, shall we? Yep. The order of confessors. Oh, before we get off the... so this was mainly uh, Western. This is all all Western. Uh, Talking all Western traditions. All Western here, traditions yeah. here. Yeah. Do, do we have any? Uh, I was thinking earlier. This kind of reminded me of like Kung Fu with the warriors. You know, like they they try to imitate the. the oh, the various styles of the yeah, animals. The the animals and then try to embody them. It wasn't to the same extent, but. That's an interesting idea. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a connection there. I, I'm working on an episode about China that I hope to work into our Magical Warfare series, um, and, and we'll see if, if Kung Fu becomes part of that discussion. Mm. Because the it's about the secret societies in China uh, and their sort of various religious beliefs. Uh, so let's let's see. Let's see if it comes up. I'd love to talk about some Shaolin monks. Mm-hmm. The beauty of James bringing things up at the end of episodes, listeners, is that one of you out there inevitably answers him <laughs> <laughs> and gives James whatever he's looking yeah, for. Yeah, I really appreciate all that. <laughs> and confirms him in whatever his suspicion is. James has uh, some sort of like psychic power when it comes to making scholarly connections yeah. based on nothing. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> uh, so we look forward to that message. Yes, I do. You when out it comes. there, who knows? <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit the gong now. This is the order of confessors. Do you have anyone, Jacob? Nope. Cool. Vic Avalon 
has some nice words for our whole crew of alchemical actors. Uh, he wrote us a nice review on iTunes and uh, likes how we keep it fun, even when things get a little dark around here. Sometimes a little more than just a little dark. It can get pretty dark. And sometimes we have a little too much fun, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> We, we are nice. very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, this is... This is one where we're going to have to have a little of uh, the proverbial egg on our faces here. And it regards AASB. AASB. If you'll recall, a few episodes back, uh, James, you were definitely here for this. Uh, we, we had gotten a review from Imhotep in some numbers. Uh, and Imhotep had concluded uh, the review with AASB. And uh, none of us could figure out, because we're all really bad at acronyms here on Occult Confessions, <laughs> what that referred to. And we came up with things like the, I don't know, Arizona Accounting oh, yes, Standards Board or something. Bureau, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bureau. Oh, the Bureau. Yeah. Yeah. James is now a big fan of the Arizona bit. Accounting Standards Bureau. What is it? Chemical Actors? It probably has something to do with us, right? No? As above, Jacob. So below. There it is. Yeah. As, As above, above, so below. below. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, an occultist sentiment going back thousands of years that should have occurred to us. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so we have to thank uh, Belteshazzar, 27, mm. and uh, H. H. A. Black. H. Ha. Black. Ha. Black. Ha. Ha. Black. Feels almost like an homage to Helena Blavatsky somewhere in there. Uh, while we're on the subject, uh, we had actually missed an earlier message on Instagram from Belteshazzar, and his message about AASB brought our attention to it, in which he uh, was commenting a bit on Alistair Crowley. These are some of our more popular episodes. Lots of people like the Crowley episodes. And he suggested that, and this is going to get us into more acronym trouble. <laughs> he suggested, because I'm not good on medical terminology, that Crowley has a TBI from a firework that brought on a dissociative identity disorder. Uh, and I think that it's an interesting idea because Crowley definitely does seem to exhibit different personality traits in different circumstances, and sometimes he doesn't seem to remember things he did, and, and he does contradictory things. So uh, it's an interesting idea. We're doing a Crowley episode in a little bit, which suggests, uh, in, in this series, actually, on, on the, the magical warfare where we connect him to potential Brit- British espionage, during the First and Second World War. Nice. Which yes. could be another explanation, perhaps, uh, for his dissociative identities, that he just sort of had a had secret TBI. identities. Okay, so now, yeah, uh, I'm going to put this out to you, gentlemen. A TBI. Uh, I'm going to say uh, tuberculosis infection. That's not, those aren't <laughs> two different I words. So. I don't know, if because that's in your lungs. I don't know if that'll get to your uh, brain. I'm sure your lungs help your brain. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure it would hurt. Right, and your feet help your TBI, legs. TBI, TBI. Tbi. Well, Belteshazzar will be getting back to us. Is the oh, trauma, yeah, oh, you're probably right. Trauma or trans, and then eyes. I. Well, he says from a firework. So a firework. Assume, so the firework hit him in the head. Trauma. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a trauma bi. Eh. <laughs> Try to sound smart. It's not what it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, and bringing us full circle, because we mentioned uh, our uh, Rachel from Life, Mancy, in the beginning. Uh, she asked if I have a celebrity crutch, crush on Helena Blavatsky. And? Uh, sometimes. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> this just in. Rob admits he has a sometimes celebrity crush on Blavatsky. Depends on whether I'm reading Isis Unveiled or The uh, Secret Doctrine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. If I'm reading Isis Unveiled, no. Secret, do- Secret Doctrine, more so. Hmm. Okay. Finally, we had a message on Instagram from uh, Stimores. 
You can correct us on that, Stamores. Uh, and I thought this was a fascinating question, and I'm willing to devote some time to it because it's the end of the episode, and everyone's gotten their werewolves. They got their werewolf filled. And she asked this really interesting question that I started digging into, and I may end up incorporating this into an episode later. Uh, we love hearing from listeners about these interesting tidbits, especially in American culture, because that's my, my, my main area. Okay, so let me get to this. She asked about uh, the Georgia Guidestones and whether or not they might be part of a Luciferian cult. Now, I know not everyone's heard of the Georgia Guidestones, so give me a second here. I personally had never heard of the Guidestones before, uh, and, and I've really got to thank uh, Stamores for, for bringing these to my attention. They're a really interesting artifact in, in Georgia. Basically, a man working under a pseudonym bought a piece of property and put up these stones with commandments. Stones sort of like um, Stonehenge stones, mm. big stones, mm-hmm. uh, and they were carved with these commandments, not the Ten Commandments, but his own commandments, presumably for future generations about how we should live. So, like, you know, when humanity's decimated, we'll go back to these guide stones and they'll tell us how to be. Interesting. In English? Yeah, well, in eight languages. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, Talented dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I think that they're for the future because there seems to have been a plan to include a time capsule. Um, and th- this also sort of suggests that there's this some sort of post-apocalyptic world, right? The time capsule's buried underneath and, and something's happened and few humans are left and they, they come back and discover these stones. Uh, the eight different languages include English, Swahili, and Chinese, among others. Um, we're, we're, we are, as I mentioned, planning a series on apocalyptic visions for the end of the year, and so I might be tempted to come back and, and give a deeper dive on these, but just looking over the commandments and the basic history, I want to mention a few potential occult connections here for our, our listener, Stemores. First, they've got a Blavatskyan ethos. The third commandment is to unite humanity under a living new language. This speaks to the unity of cultures and religions that Blavatsky embodied and her acolytes worked toward. Also, you know, Alice Bailey, all those sort of folks. Second, they hint at the New Thought movement, which we haven't talked about on the podcast. Commandment 9 asks us to seek harmony with the infinite. This reminds me of the title of New Thought pioneer Ralph Waldo Trine's book, In Tune with the Infinite. Very briefly, the New Thought movement involved a rational approach to religion that removed uh, that moved past the sort of tribalism of specific denominations and creeds to teach that divinity dwells in all things, but especially in humans, and that our minds can influence our material conditions sort of very new agey. It's like yeah. the new age before the new age. It's 19th century new ageism, mm. basically. So when, when was this, these stones? Uh, Luna? <laughs> Post-internet, maybe? Because yeah. Google Translate for those... <laughs> for the eight languages? Yeah, yeah. I don't... We'll, we'll get a date. We got uh, Hunter in the background here. He's on his uh, device. Hunter, give us a date on those Georgia Guidestones. Uh, and while Hunter's looking for that, let me just give the last occult connection that I could discover. And this, I think, is probably the most interesting one. The stones were commissioned under the pseudonym R.C. Christian. And that makes my mind jump immediately to Christian Rosencruz, which is the pseudonym of the author of the major Rosicrucian texts. Also, the initials R.C. are often used to refer to the Rosy Cross of the Rosicrucians. Oh. Yeah, so he's using R.C. Christian, Christian being the first name of the pseudonym of the Rosicrucian author, and then the letters R.C. really being a call-out, hmm. I think, of Rosicrucianism. Um, they're also my first two initials. So Yeah, so, R.C. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> Rosie Cross Thompson. Oh. We've got a date on those. Uh, Very stories. nice. 1980. Oh. Oh, good year. Not That's that, not good that year. long ago. Yeah. None of us were here. I this I don't know if it really connects to it or not, but it's kind of interesting how many different like beliefs and stuff like that 
view or like have this belief that an apocalypse is going to happen and so many of them are preparing for it and it's almost like hmm you think why? we should get on board here i don't know i'm not i'm not on board completely but i think it's interesting how many different religions believe that like there's going to be some end of world thing well, a lot of religions are passed through stories and That's all true. stories must come to an end <gasps> mm. whoa especially in the western world we have a very linear view of things we yeah. do yeah, uh, if the world does not end uh, within the year, we will be doing our Apocalypse series. I've oh. got about seven or eight episodes, I think, scheduled for the Apocalypse series. I'm, I'm hard at work on at least just figuring out what the topics will be, so maybe we'll be able to answer some of your questions, Jacob. Yeah. It's taken from the perspective that we survived the Apocalypse. <laughs> Living to tell the tale. All right, James, are you capable of bringing us on home here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got right, this. go for it. Yeah, I just want to say... Thanks, everyone, for listening. You you got to hear by... Uh, yeah, oh! Really the... Yeah, I was thinking about doing my own thing. You know, Olivia's oh. not here. Oh, so was, you're taking gonna... some liberties. If you don't declare this thought, meeting closed, I we're going to be in trouble, gonna You gave me here. that nod, like, we need promoted. To officially close the... Okay, okay, I see. I hereby end this course of action <laughs> and bring meeting. a close to this meeting of, of the secret, al- super alchemical... Secret super, order. Secret super order. Oh, my gosh. You don't even know what we're actors. called anymore. I'm just trying. Are you to, having I'm a stroke? To, I'm thinking we need like a new spice. You know? <laughs> like I'm the captain of the table. I hereby I adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. Yep. All right, I submit to your will. I guess you know. You're gonna have to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have to observe have the ritual. To. Absolutely. Right. Right. Uh, so let's talk about the folks who did voices for us today. We did have Hunter Sheeler, who has been in the background uh, doing some internet research for it's us of late. Thanks, uh, Hunter. <laughs> uh, Faith Barry, for the first time, was playing our witch today. Uh, Tease was played by uh, our Silver Tongue Shadow, Brandon Walls, and uh, the judge and the priest were Dan Rosendale and uh, Sam Steen. And finally, we had uh, Brie Litterall and Johnny Cook doing our beggar and woman. Woman. Uh, uh, Brie, I'm guessing, was the woman. Brie was the woman. Johnny oh, okay. was the beggar. Also, he played the man. <laughs> Anyway, very good work there. Joining us in the circle, uh, which was more of a triangle today, uh, I've got uh, Jacob Wheatley, our dangling ser- serpent knight. <laughs> I'm just the dangling serpent. Our dangling serpent. Yeah. Knight uh, of the Dirt. Yeah. Yes, fare thee well. I don't know. That's good. Uh, good Sounds, day. Good day. <laughs> good day. Fare thee well sounded very Renaissance. I felt like we were among the werewolves. Uh, and James Complange uh, is our captain of the table. Yes, uh, to all my fellow werewolves out there, make sure you shampoo and condition your your skin and hair. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> don't let the vampires keep you down. Oh yeah, don't. Let them. You will my turn name is. Uh, are you all turning? What? <laughs> my name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order here. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, yet again. And uh, one more time, uh, we're we're about to record some bonus material on werewolf curses. So join us on Patreon for only a dollar a month. You too can enjoy werewolf curses. <laughs> <laughs>